Thank you, Eric. It's good to be here tonight. And uh, since you were altogether kind in what you said, I will uh, stay in that same vein. Not that I have anything <laughs> other than that to report, but I am uh, grateful for the opportunity to be here tonight. You know, being a pastor over the years has been an interesting journey. I remember when I first started preaching that I would have people come by, and I know that they meant well in what they were saying, but they would say things when I was done preaching like, you know, someday you're going to really be a good preacher. <laughs> they don't say that to me any longer, so I guess people have given up hope. I don't know. <laughs> and I, I've heard all sorts of responses as I've preached. I had one person say, you know, I know you don't preach long, but it just seems that way. I was preaching one time at a, at a nursing home, and one of the people that was there said, they said, now when you come, you put me to sleep, but then I wake up and you're still preaching. So, so for some of you, you might get to rest in the Lord tonight for a while, and then uh, when you uh, wake back up, I might still be preaching. We'll see. Uh, I, I remember someone saying that uh, they, they were greeting the pastor at the door as, he was, as they were leaving, and they said to him, you know, pastor, we want you to know that every sermon you preach is better than the next. <laughs> and then there was the one <laughs> where the person came up and said, um, I just want you to know that you are the model preacher. And he felt pretty good about it until he went home and looked it up in the dictionary. Definition of a model is a cheap imitation of the real thing. <laughs> I'm hoping that tonight I'll not be a cheap imitation of the real thing. If you have your Bibles with you, let's dig in and get started. And do so by turning to Psalm 145. Now, I know that uh, Darren did a wonderful job of launching us last week, and I so enjoy hearing him when he comes and I'm getting a lot of uh, bounce back or something in this, aren't I? I don't know if, if I may bail and, and go to the handheld. It may be better. So if, uh, if you've got that handheld around back there somewhere, why don't we maybe go to that? Um, <clears throat> but anyway, um, he did a wonderful job of getting us launched into this book. And today we're going to be pretty well at the latter part of the book, but we're going to be looking at what for me is my favorite psalm. And uh, thank you. Yeah, I was forewarned. All right. So anyway, um, you know, as we think about our lives in relationship to the world in which we're living, I, it's very easy for us to conclude that the backdrop for what we're going to talk about tonight is pretty dark. And it is. When I think about the three great societal changes, challenges of 2022, I would group it in these things, disease, division, and depravity. And if I were going to describe the three challenges of the church in 2022, it would be division, distraction, and deception. All of those words are pretty dark, 
and it would be pretty easy for us to focus upon the darkness that is around us, but tonight I want us to flip that to the extreme opposite, and I want us to go in a much better direction. I remember hearing a song one time that said, the world is a scary place to live in, and living is a scary thing to do. And it can be at times, but it doesn't need to be, because there are such great encouragements in the scriptures. And tonight we're going to be focusing upon a psalm that encourages us to praise In fact, the Bible commands us to praise God. It's commended as something that we ought to participate in. And so I, in trying to think how could I really minister effectively tonight, was trying to decide, will it most benefit uh, if if we just sort of superficially look at, at all of the different psalms that deal with the idea of praising? Or would it be better to focus on one and let the one sort of remind us of the entirety? And I I finally decided that the first would give us sort of a superficial look, but nothing to really lay hold of specifically all that well. Where if we focus upon one, I hope that you'll have some very clear things that when you leave tonight, you can say, "I, I have a handle on this. And then the other consideration that I was dealing with was, will it most benefit everyone if we sort of go verse by verse and parse verbs and do intensive word studies, or will the most benefit result if we take a more pastoral look at this and try and understand how can we help one another draw near to God? And I opted for the second of those. Uh, We can learn a lot about Scripture, but the Scripture warns us that sometimes that leads to pride. We can get sort of puffed up about what we know. And yet the greater burden in my heart is it's not what we know, but what is it that's making our lives different? How is it changing us? And if I were to look for one psalm among all the psalms that I think would be the most beneficial to everyone, it would be Psalm 145. In fact, it's my favorite psalm in all the 150 psalms in the Bible. It's my favorite. Uh, I came to a different understanding a number of years ago of, of the role of ministering to people in the gifting that God gives that the Scriptures defines as, as being a prophetic ministry. A lot of times we think, well, if, if a person is a prophet, that they're talking about things in the future, things yet to be. And yet in 1 Corinthians, the 14th chapter, verse 3, it says, uh, Paul writing here says, On the other hand, the one who prophesies speaks to people for their upbuilding, encouragement, and consolation. In, in the uh, New American Standard Bible, it says edification, exhortation, and consolation. And in the New Living Testament, it says he speaks to strengthen and encourage and comfort. Those things to me are good things. And I want to do that in your life tonight. But more importantly, rather than me doing that, I want to point us to how the scriptures do that for us. It's going to help build us up. It's going to help encourage us, and it will most definitely comfort us.
So I suppose we might ask, well, why should we look at Psalm 145? And one of the practical reasons is that it prompts us to be able to praise God better. You know, sometimes the fact that we know we ought to praise God is harder for us to walk out in our lives and do effectually. We know we should, but we don't feel altogether comfortable in, in knowing how to voice that and how to give expression to it. And so this psalm can work, as it were, as a prompter for us. I remember when I was back in college, which was many years ago, one of the things that our school did was that every year they brought in a professional actor, a well-known actor, in fact, to participate in one of the plays that we produced. And this particular year, uh, Walter Abel, who starred in many different movies and uh, was a star on Broadway, uh, came in to do one of the roles in the play The Crucible. Now at this time he was older and he was having some memory issues and he never did actually learn all of his lines. And it was the only time in the history that anyone could remember that they ever used a prompter for one of the plays. There was a person sitting over in the wings with an open script, and as, we would, as the play progressed, if he happened to forget a line, that person offstage would prompt him, would say the line so that it would jog his memory so he could remember what it was that he was supposed to be saying. In fact, one night, he went up on a line, couldn't remember it, the person prompted him, Walter Abel was not able to hear all that well. He broke character, turned to the prompter and said, what? I mean, it, it was not the best theatrical moment ever. But the fact was that he was having to be prompted in what he was doing. And this psalm can do that for you. If you're having a hard time remembering all the things that you ought to be praising God for, this psalm is where you can turn. But not only will it help you from that standpoint, it also can give you a great picture of the greatness of God. And that's what we're going to do tonight. We're going to have a celebration. If you don't leave here tonight happy in the Lord, then I'm going to feel like I fell short of the mark that I'd set for myself. Because that really is my goal. I want you to leave here tonight happy in the Lord. But it also, as you read through it, contains some very precious and potent promises that we can lay hold of and they can give us great assurances. As we face this dark and difficult world around us, we can live with a great sense of victory. Now, as we look at the psalm tonight, we're going to look at it really in three parts. It doesn't specifically divide itself into these categories, but I think that it suggests these things as we go through the text, and so we're going to be looking at it in three ways. First of all, we're going to look at the greatness of God in His person and His work. And then secondly, we're going to look at the greatness of God in his rulership. And third, and finally, we'll look at the greatness of God in his loving care. Now, unquestionably, the clear focus in this psalm is upon the Lord. His worthiness, both of his person and of his works. And he is the one that we need to without hesitation, always choose if we're looking for someone who can really fulfill a need in our life. I heard of a girl who uh, wrote this note. She said, Dear Mom, thank you so much for being my mom. 
If I had a different mom, I would punch her in the face and go and find you. Love, Brooke. Well, if you've got anyone other than the Lord God Almighty fulfilling that role in your life, punch him in the face and go find the real God because he's there waiting for you to come to him and find in him all the help and all the hope you could ever desire. And so with that by way of, of just introduction, let's begin to look at this psalm. Psalm 145, it actually is titled a psalm of praise or a song of praise of David. It's the last recorded psalm that we have that is attributed to David. There are a number of psalms that don't accredit anyone as to be the author. This one specifically says it is a psalm of David. And it is also described as an alphabetical psalm. Uh, this was a device that was used sometimes as a way of helping people to remember uh, the scriptures. And uh, each verse began with one of the letters of the Hebrew alphabet. There's one exception to this, though, in this particular uh, psalm, and that is the Hebrew letter nun is not found in the listing. Some have suggested that it, it was the idea that it was an imperfect alphabet because it was an imperfect praise that we were giving God now, but someday we would give him the complete praise that he is worthy of. And I like that thought. I think that that is a, a wonderful uh, reality because I don't care how much we praise God and how well we do it, we're still going to do it better someday. And I look forward to that and I hope you do as well. But we're going to spend the first part of our night celebrating and I want you in your heart to let the Lord move within you in such a way that you can really celebrate the person and the work of God. And it begins in verse 1, so come with me as we begin down through this. He says here, I will extol you, my God and King, and bless your name forever and ever. Every day I will bless you and praise your name forever and ever. Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised, and his greatness is unsearchable. One generation shall commend your works to another and shall declare your mighty acts. On the glorious splendor of your majesty and on your wondrous works, I will meditate. They shall speak of the might of your awesome deeds, and I will declare your greatness. They shall pour forth the fame of your abundant goodness and shall sing aloud of your righteousness. The Lord is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. The Lord is good to all, and his mercy is over all that he has made. All your works shall give thanks to you, O Lord, and all your saints shall bless you. Celebrating the greatness of the person and the work of God. He begins by saying, I will extol you. That word extol is not one that we use all that much. It just simply is the idea of attributing with great praise or thanksgiving uh, honor to someone that we uh, have in our sights. And in this particular case, it is God. He says, I will extol you. It's a personal address to God. David here is not talking about God. He's talking to God. He says, I will extol you, my God and King, and bless your name forever and ever. Every day I will bless you and praise your name forever and ever. Note here that 
what he envisions is the fact that his life is to have this as a characteristic of a daily activity. It's to be a daily discipline. Every day I will bless you and praise your name forever and ever. So it's to be a daily discipline. It really is to be a daily duty. It's part of what God expects of us as his children. And it's not self-serving on his part. We benefit by thinking rightly about him. It's to our own benefit and, and encouragement when we praise him. And so he commands it of us, and it's our daily duty to do that. But it also ought to be our daily delight, shouldn't it? I mean, it ought to be something that makes us happy to be able to do it, to be able to praise the greatness of God. But the interesting thing is that he envisions it going beyond just this day. Because he says, and I'll praise your name forever and ever. And guess what? We have that to look forward to. There will be the day when we will be able to praise him forever and ever in an uninterrupted opportunity of being able to acknowledge the person and the work of God. And so we come in verse 3 where he says here, Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised, and his greatness is unsearchable. You know, that word and there carries with it more, I think, the force of because. Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised because his greatness is unsearchable. Start now and try, and you'll never be able to plumb the depths of the greatness of God, is what he's saying. It's unsearchable. You'll never run out of things to discover about God and his greatness. And so he declares, great is the Lord, and our praise ought to reflect the greatness of our God. Great God, great praise, is what he's saying. And then he goes on in verse 4 to say, One generation shall commend your works to another and shall declare your mighty acts. I was reading that in Denmark, they have what is called a human library. And what that is, is that an opportunity for people to go and check out, as it were, human beings for 30 minutes at a time. And the purpose of this is that you check out a person who's going to tell you a bit of their life story and help to expand your understandings of things. And particularly what they've chosen are people who may be able to speak to particular areas of struggle in your life. Maybe you, you have a difficulty um, dealing with uh, immigrants or refugees, and so they have someone available that you can go to, hear their story, and the, the bottom line of that is to be that it will help you to better understand them and then I guess you check them back in once you're done uh, having borrowed them. There are 55 countries that have picked up on this idea and they have human libraries. Well the thought came to me I think that that is what he's saying here ought to be true of us as God's people. We ought to be as it were a human library that people could come and check us out and we could tell them how great our God is. Listen, he says here, one generation shall commend your works to another. There's to be a legacy of praise. I think it's to be passed on from parents to children and grandchildren. 
But I think that it ought to be also the, in the general population where we are available to give our testimony and tell people about the greatness of God. One generation shall commend your works to another and shall declare your mighty acts. There, as we go through this psalm, we're going to find different phrases that David used to describe the power of God being expressed. He uses phrases in verse 4 like mighty acts, and in verse 5, wondrous works, and in verse 6, awesome deeds, and verse 12, mighty deeds. So he keeps coming back to this idea and reminding us of the greatness of the work of God, of the activity of God. And so he says, we're going to commend his works to another and to declare his mighty acts and then he goes on in verse 5 to more personalize it again. And he says, On the glorious splendor of your majesty and on your wondrous works, I will meditate. The glorious splendor of your majesty. Here he's talking about the person of God. And as we go down through this psalm, we're going to find words that he uses to describe the kind of being that God is. He's glorious, he declares. He's great. He's good. He's gracious. He's merciful. He's slow to anger. He's abounding in steadfast love. He's faithful. He's kind. He's righteous. On and on he goes with these words describing the kind of God with whom we have to do. And he says, on your glorious splendor, splendor of your majesty, your being, your personhood, and on your wondrous works. And again, think of the wondrous works of God, the wondrous works of God in creation, in providence, in protection, in supply, in salvation, and in help. And so he says, on these things I will meditate. There's that word that that. Darren, last week, if you were here or if you were watching online, he, he helped me understand that in a different and better way when he said you know, that if you really want to understand it, it, it means to mumble. And so we ought to be mumbling about this, turning over in, in our minds, you know, sort of going along and mumbling perhaps to ourselves, boy, isn't God great? I'm just thinking of how good he is and how gracious he is and how wonderful he is, and I can't get over that, that he's a God who was willing to save me and the power of God put on display, and we're just meditating upon these things. Now, one of the things that will help you in this to meditate upon the Word of God is to memorize the Word of God. And you go, but I, I have a hard time memorizing. I'm finding that it's harder for me to memorize. Uh, I have committed this psalm to memory, but if you were to test me tonight, I'm pretty sure it wouldn't be word perfect. Uh, there are certain parts that I still have difficulty getting just exactly the wording right. But one of the things that helps us to be able to meditate about God's word is to have it ready with us, to have it there to be able to be chewed on and thought about and considered. And I wouldn't worry so much about quantity. I would just consider the fact that any and every verse you've put into the memory bank enriches your life.
for a long time, I only had the first three verses of this psalm memorized, and I had memorized those several years ago. And um, I, I could rattle them off without any problem, and I used them a lot of times as a way of sort of beginning my own prayer time with the Lord. But then I thought, well, if I can learn the first three, maybe I can expand that. And little by little, I began to increase the reservoir of things from which I could draw. And I just want to encourage you to do the same thing. But then he says, they shall speak of the might of your awesome deeds and will declare your greatness. So now he turns his attention away from himself. He says, on these things, I'm going to meditate. And now he says, they shall. So it's as though there's a congregation of people equipped to be able to do the same thing that he wants to do. He's not alone in this. God has raised up many who can testify to his greatness. And he says in verse 7, they shall pour forth the fame of your abundant. Literally, the idea is a bubbling up of your abundant goodness and shall sing aloud of your righteousness. And then he does an interesting thing here because he goes back and reaches back into the earlier parts of the Older Testament, back into Exodus, the 34th chapter, where the Lord himself is declaring his own attributes. And he calls them and brings them forward to our remembrance where he says the Lord is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. And then he goes on to say, the Lord is good to all, and his mercy is over all that he has made. All your works shall give thanks to you, O Lord, and all your saints shall bless you. Everything that God has made praises the Lord and honors him, and all of his saints, all of us who have been called to him, should give honor to him. I don't know if, if you have access to it, but there are so many different kinds of, of na nature programs that, that to me are fascinating, wonderful to watch, and remind me of this wonderful world that we live in and the universe that God has placed in, in the midst of. One that Carol and I just recently were able to watch is a sort of mini-series hosted by Will Smith on the National Geographic uh, channel, and it's called Welcome to Earth. And it's six episodes that are absolutely mind-boggling as you watch them. And it just fills you with a sense of wonder and awe of the greatness and the goodness of God. Find some of these kinds of things and keep yourself being encouraged to remember the greatness and the goodness of the person and the work of God. That's worth celebrating. Amen? I mean, we ought to be able to, to walk out of here tonight so grateful that we have such a great God, so worthy to be celebrated. But then let's look next at celebrating the kingdom of God. And that's going to be found in verses 11 to 14. So let's read through them, then I'll come back and make just a few comments about them. He says in verse 11, They shall speak of the glory of your kingdom and tell of your power to make known to the children of man your mighty deeds and the glorious splendor of your kingdom. Your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom and your dominion endures throughout all generations. He uses the word kingdom repeatedly here and that's why I think that this is the thematic place that he's turned his attention to 
the rulership of God. They shall speak of the glory of your kingdom and tell of your power. And then in verse 12, the glorious splendor of your kingdom. And then in verse 13, your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom and your dominion endures throughout all generations. As Matthew Henry, who identifies three characteristics of the kingdom, he says in verse 11, it talks about the pomp of the kingdom. And in verse 12, it talks about the power of the kingdom. And in verse 13, about the perpetuity of the kingdom. The fact is that we serve a God who always has been and will forever be in control. He is the king of kings, and he is the Lord of lords. I've said before, and I really believe it with all of my heart, that the most important question in all of life is this question, who's in charge here? Answer that question, and you've told me what I need to know about how you've oriented your life. Who's in charge here? And David is helping to remind us of the fact that it is the Lord himself who's in charge here. He's the king. He is the one who rules over all and has absolute authority. Not only is his position that of being the reigning king with all of the splendor that goes along with that, but he is also at the same time the ruling king. He has full authority. In England, we have Queen Elizabeth, and she is the reigning queen, has been for many, many years now. But she is not really a ruling queen. The power of the monarchy was stripped from it many, many years ago, and it's more or less a titular role that is given to that person. A lot of splendor, a lot of pomp and circumstance, but very little wielded power in that position. Not so with God. He is both in the role of reigning as king with all the splendor that goes with that, but then he also is in the role as the ruling king, the one who has absolute authority. And we're going to look at one final section tonight before we finish up. And we're going to make one last stab at celebrating the greatness of God. So we've celebrated him in his person and work. We've celebrated him as the ruler. But now let's celebrate him together for the loving care of God. Strange little thing happens in the text here. And that is as we come to um, the end of verse 13, there's a phrase that in the older text and in some of the, the manuscripts is not included. It happens to be included in the ESV within brackets, which is a tip-off to us that this wasn't in some of the other manuscripts. But it certainly is consistent with the thought that is being set forth within this text. He says, The Lord is faithful in all his words and kind in all his works. And that is good to know. But then he comes on to these final verses to tell us about the personal care of God. Let's read them together. The Lord upholds all who are falling and raises up all who are bowed down. The eyes of all look to you and you give them their food in due season. 
You open your hand, you satisfy the desire of every living thing. The Lord is righteous in all his ways and kind in all his works. The Lord is near to all who call on him, to all who call on him in truth. He fulfills the desire of those who fear him. He also hears their cry and saves them. The Lord preserves all who love him, but all the wicked he will destroy. My mouth will speak the praise of the Lord and let all flesh bless his holy name forever and ever. The Lord upholds all who are falling. Everyone who's been tripped up by life. I want to recall to your memory something that I am virtually assured that you saw and remember clearly. In the 1992 Barcelona Olympics, there was a young runner by the name of Derek Redmond running the 400-meter race. They were in the semifinal race, and as he made his way around the track, he pulled his hamstring and was having a very difficult time making it to the finish line. And out of the stands on video, we see his father coming out of the stands and onto the track and putting his arm around his son and helping him to cross the finish line. And the crowd was all cheering. I mean, a standing ovation for what was they saw unfolding of this father coming out of the stands to help his son who had fallen. Take that picture and pull it into the scriptures in this moment and realize that is the heart of our God for us. He says it here, the Lord upholds all who are falling. So when life trips you up, he's going to come out of the stands He's going to put his arm around you and it's going to help you to cross the finish line. We have great assurance of that over in Jude, don't we? Now unto him who is able to keep us from falling and is able to present us faultless before his throne. To the only wise God be glory, dominion, and power now and forever. He's able to do it and he will. Sometimes life trips us up. But other times, life weighs us down. He says here, he raises up all who are bowed down. There was a father who told his son, let's go out to the field today and see if we can't clear some of those rocks out of the way that are keeping us from being able to use that particular part of the field. They were farmers, and, and he needed the help of his son. So they went out there, and they had been moving the rocks out of the way, and they came to a particular large one. And the father was standing there, and he said to his son, go ahead and, and move, the son, uh, move the rock, if you will. And so the, the, the kid bent over, and he tried with a, as best he could to lift it, and, and he couldn't. And the father said, you're not using all your strength. Try again. And so the son bent down, and this time, I mean, he, he was turning red-faced and his muscles were shaking as he was trying to move it off the ground and he couldn't 
And the father turned to the son and he said, son, use all your strength. And the son looked up the father and he says, I am. And he said, oh, no, you're not. You've not asked me to help. That's the picture. When life weighs you down and you go, I just can't lift it. Don't depend upon your own strength. He'll help you. Don't be afraid to turn to him and call upon him and say, I need your help. I need your strength. The promise here is he will raise you up. Verse 15, the eyes of all look to you, and you give them their food in due season. I would make note as we go through these final verses here, just note the number of times that the all-inclusive word all is found. All, all, all. It just ricochets back and forth through these verses. The eyes of all look to you and you give them their food in due season. You know, that is the literal truth of the matter. Even for those who are deniers, it's the truth of the matter. There is a common or general grace that extends to all of, uh, of God's creation. The very fact that anything is in current existence testifies to a common grace that has been proffered to them because of God. If God were to withdraw that for even a nanosecond of time, it would cease to be. And so the truth is that he gives everything its food in due season. In verse 16, you open your hand and you satisfy the desire of every living thing. You know, you read that verse and you go, hmm. I'm not sure that I really am fully aligned with that. I know a lot of people that don't seem to have their desires being met, but ultimately those desires will be met. You know, it's the strange providential working of God that when the final tally is made, everybody will have gotten what they desired. The strange reality is even those who end in hell will have gotten what they desired. He gives to everything, fulfills the desire of everything. And then in verse 17, he says, The Lord is righteous in all his ways and kind in all his works. All his ways, how he goes about what he does is always right. He doesn't ever get it wrong. And then he's kind in all his works. There's a tenderness that is put on display as God deals with us. And he wants us to know that and believe that. And then we come to verse 18, and he says, The Lord is near to all who call on him. But then he puts, as it were, a little proviso here, a little exception. 
and that is to all who call on him in truth. There's one thing in particular that will deafen the ear of God to us, and that is when we go before him dishonestly. Because until we're able to admit the truth, he can't speak to our need. Until we're able to tell God, I'm broken, I'm a mess, I'm hurting, I'm struggling, I'm confused, I'm not sure which way to turn. Until we're able to make an honest statement to him about who we are, he really isn't going to be in a position to help us address that need because we haven't admitted to the need. Instead, we've come as if we want to play act with him. We've come as if we want to take on a role and somehow impress him, and he most assuredly will not be impressed because he knows the truth. And so he demands of us that we come to him and we call upon him in truth. It is the essential of prayer. I don't know of any, anything more important to prayer than doing so truthfully. Being honest, being transparent. And just full disclosure, it's not altogether easy to do that. There are times when when I go before the Lord and I tend to want a posture because I want to know his acceptance and his approval. And the problem is that I'm going about that backwards. The acceptance and the approval is already there, so I don't need that from him. But what I need is an honest interchange between me and a father who can help me. And so there are times when he just simply stops me and says, let's really talk. And then I can get honest and say, Lord, here's where I am. Will you help me? Will you teach me? Will you show me? And he never disappoints. Verse 19, he fulfills the desire of those who fear him. And the desire of those who fear him, you see, is that he might, in fact, be the desire of their heart. Psalm 37 says, delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. He fulfills the desire of those who fear him. He also hears their cry and saves them. Sometimes that's all that we can make is just a cry to the Lord, Lord, save me and he can and he will do that verse 20 the Lord preserves all who love him the keeping power of God go from here tonight assured of that the keeping power of God he preserves all those who love him do you love the Lord tonight he's going to keep you But then we come to this very solemn word, and it's, it seems almost a strange 
imposition into the midst of this, and yet it is necessary because it's part of this God that we're celebrating, and that is, but all the wicked he will destroy. There is a final just judgment that God himself will do because he is righteous, because he is good, because he is all of the things we've been celebrating throughout the evening. And so he comes to the end to make a personal declaration and a public invitation. And the personal declaration is this. My mouth will speak the praise of the Lord. It's sort of one of those things, as for me and my house, I can't speak for you in this matter, but I'll tell you what my life is going to be about, and that is I'm going to praise the Lord. But then there's a public invitation. And let all flesh bless his holy name forever and ever. It's a great psalm. I don't think I've missed the mark in choosing it as my favorite of all of them. Because I can't find a better picture of a God to be celebrated than the one that this paints for me. And it does the very things pastorally for me personally that I wanted to be able to do for you. And that is to edify, to build you up some, to give you some substance you could hold on and say, that strengthened me, that helped me. But not only to build you up, but to encourage you because I don't know what you're going to face in this coming week. I don't know what you're going to face as you look down the road toward the days that are before you. I don't know that of myself either, but the fact is I wanted to encourage you that you don't need to keep your eyes on those things that you are not sure about, but you can take your comfort in the Lord. And I really wanted to provide some comfort <laughs> some consolation for you to go out of here tonight comforted in the knowledge you could never ever invest your heart and life anywhere better than in celebrating the great God who created you who loves you who saved you who has a home for you in eternity and who now simply invites you and me to go out this week and make him known would you let me pray with you for a second? Father, it is hard not to be excited in our hearts when we realize how wonderful and good and great you are. And Father, I really do hope that your people are leaving here tonight happy that this has been a happy moment. We, there's a lot of sadness in our world around us, but you sort of created a, a, a respite moment for us where we could draw aside and get happy in you. And I trust that by your spirit, you've been ministering to your people in that way. And I thank you for that. In Jesus' name.